And say it with me. Yahweh saying to Pharaoh, what? Let my people go. <laughs> exactly. And we are so grateful to be released from that grasp and being able to come out of Egypt. What's interesting, and we read through this when Josh uh, shared the other day in Exodus chapter 12, and we've been reading through this passage, but sometimes we kind of skim over things. So I want to read a bit from Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 and 38. It says, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them, also in flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. It's interesting, that word mixed multitude. We would say different races, different people groups, but it wasn't just Hebrews that left. You have to imagine the Egyptians, after witnessing these miraculous signs and the death of their firstborn, probably said, hey, don't leave us here. We're going to go with you. And so it was a mixed multitude that actually left Egypt of Hebrews and Egyptians that eventually wandered in the desert and entered the promised land. So I want to look at what does the Bible say about race and people groups and ethnicity? What do the scriptures teach? And if there's time, how this relates to critical race theory. So we got to start at the very beginning. So we have to realize that the Bible is our history book. And remember, as we've spoken before, the Bible is not just one book, but it's a collection of books, you know, spanning about a 4,000 year period. So when we start at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we have Yahweh Elohim formed the man of the dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And then we see Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. And Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh where it had been. And Yahweh Elohim fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. You know, a lot of people say, why is she called woman? Because he saw her and said, whoa, man. So that's where you get woman. All right, that's uh, exegetical Hebrew kind of study there. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, we see this reiterated when Yeshua speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 5. The Pharisees also came to him, speaking of Yeshua, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there we have it. He refers back to creation, and he refers to how many genders? Two. He created them male and female. We also kind of see this reiterated again in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. Elohim, who made the world and everything in it, since he is sovereign of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So we have it again. He made from one blood every nation of men and women to dwell upon the face of the earth. So we have two questions. So you might ask yourself, if we arose from two people today, how could we be so different? Or how could we be so different if we only came from Adam and Eve? So those are good questions. So let's start back at the beginning again. So we have Noah's flood, obviously. Yahweh created the earth, Adam and Eve, they had children, 
there was this catastrophic flood that wiped out most of mankind. And so Noah survived with his three sons and their wives, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we see in Genesis chapter 9, uh, verses 18 through 19, it says, The sons of Noah who went forth from these ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So if we say we believe in creation, if we say we believe the scriptures, then we need to see that we are all descendants of who? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So again, what happened after this? Well, we see, and this is an easy way to remember, the, the flood is listed in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. So if you take the number 6 and flip it upside down, it's chapter 9, so you could say the flood turned the world upside down. So you could always remember that. You could find the flood in the account of Genesis chapter 6 through 9. But then we have the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, and then we have the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. So a good way to remember the tower is the number 11, and you got them side by side, kind of think of the twin towers right there. And so we have that the people were dispersed. Yahweh confused their language, and we see kind of the arrows here, what anthropologists, what some archaeologists would say, that you have a Tower of Babel, and people were dispersed throughout the entire planet. And what's really interesting is that you have pyramids in Egypt, you have pyramids in Mexico, you have pyramids in Asia, you know, you also have uh, pyramids in South America. So you even actually have them in North America with some of what we would call the Native American tribes. It's also interesting that when you read through the Table of Nations, sometimes, and we've been going over this in youth group, we, we just kind of read through the names without really looking at them. But in Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, there's a little clue. It says, And to Eber two sons were born. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And the name of his brother was Jotan. So Peleg, for whatever reason, it just pauses right there, and the earth was divided. I used to think of uh, the theory of Pangea, you know, where the earth was like one, and you can see South America fits into Africa like a puzzle. I don't know if it was that, or he just means that the people of the earth were just dispersed. What's interesting is that scientists today would call this the out-of-Africa theory. The out-of-Africa theory states, new research confirms the out-of-Africa hypothesis that all modern humans stem from a single group of homo sapiens who immigrated from Africa 2,000 generations ago and sp spread throughout Eurasia over thousands of years. So if we take a closer look at that picture of out of Africa, it resembles a lot of the Tower of Babel. We would say, Bible scholars, it was more the Middle East, but a lot of scientists probably for obvious reasons would say, we don't want to deal with Jerusalem or Israel. Let's just say everyone came from out of Africa. So it's really interesting. So when we look at the biblical view, we have to remember Yahweh created Adam and Eve. They had sons and daughters. The earth was populated. There was a flood. Everyone was wiped out except for Noah's sons and their wives. And then after that time, the Tower of Babel came and everyone was dispersed. So what's interesting, and real briefly, I just want to touch on what we call evolution. There's macroevolution, which would say that we evolved from apes. I am not referring to that. There is sometimes what's called microevolution, which we would actually call adaptation. When we go to certain areas, like for example, I moved here from California. I'm getting these allergies. It is not fun. <laughs> I'm hoping that over time I will adapt to this environment and uh, be, be free of that. But even the skin color distribution 
will change over time and generations depending on where you move. There are certain genes involved, and I'm no scientist, but there's MCR1, um, ASIP, there's our different genes, and as we, genes, as we zoom into that picture of people groups and color, we kind of see it's based along the equator. You know, you see the darker regions would be darker colored skin people, the lighter regions, like in Iceland and Greenland, you know, there's not a whole lot of sun up there. You're gonna have a, a lot lighter colored people. So you kind of see the distribution of skin color based upon where people lived. So then you might ask, how do we get so much diversity? Well, every person carries, according to science, about three million variations of what, we, what compose the human race. There are 10 million variations worldwide. So if you do the math, you all carry about one-third of what is the variation of the entire population of the planet, which is quite a bit. So now I want to focus just kind of some personal experience. I want to show a picture of our home group. Um, you can see uh, the men, some of the men there. This was our home group in California. We would say it was a somewhat diverse group. But I want you to focus in on two individuals. Let me know if you see any similarities on two individuals there. So I'm going to show you another picture. Look at how they're sitting. Look at their hairstyle, uh, <laughs> their beard, um, body type, body height, body weight. It's really interesting. So you have Caleb Robinson over on this side, and you have Romesh. Now, let me just ask you this, and don't be shy, it's just us here. You might want to turn off the recording. How many of you, when you see Romesh, might think he talks like this and has kids that are very smart at the top of their class? How many of you would make me think he talks like that? Anybody? Uh, okay, thank you. We've got some honest people in here, all right? Well, interesting enough, Romesh was born in Sri Lanka. He moved to New Zealand and lived about 30 years of his life in New Zealand before moving to the United States. So he speaks with this very proper accent. You know, it kind of throws you off a little bit because you're like, who am I talking to? But if we look at this picture right here, it's really interesting. Harper, who is Caleb's daughter, you see her on his lap, said to Romesh, in her own words, if I remember this correctly, you look like my dad, only chocolate. And, <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, and it actually touched my heart. She didn't use the word black or dark or, you know, your skin tone. She just used words that were in her vocabulary. And it was amazing to me uh, at the Robinson's home uh, where we would have home fellowship. They had this kind of obscure glass door you couldn't quite see through. You could just kind of see um, silhouettes. But when Ramesh and um, Caleb were next to each other, you could not tell who was who. It was just so interesting. So really, the only difference between Ramesh and Caleb is the amount of melanin that they have in their skin. When we look at melanin, we have a capital A, a capital B, a lowercase a, and then a lowercase b. If you have the lowercase letters, you're going to have less melanin, which means you'll probably have lighter eyes and lighter skin. If you have the capital letters, you'll probably have darker eyes and darker skin. So I'm no dermatologist, but we're going to look at the layers of skin right now. No matter where you come from, where you all, we all have layers of skin. You know, we have the epidermis, you know, we have all these different layers of skin. But the genes in our body that we inherited from our family is going to determine how much pigmentation gets through. So if you have a lot of melanin, that pigmentation is going to come through and your skin's going to appear dark. If you don't have a lot of that melanin, it's not going to come through and your skin will be light. 
So there's a lot of questions. Okay, what did Adam and Eve look like? You know, where did they come from? Well, I know not everyone's going to agree, but a lot of anthropologists, a lot of archaeologists would say they were probably somewhere in the middle. They probably had capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b. The reason for that, if the whole, if we come from them and the whole earth was populated, that's how you're going to get those variations of all capital letters, of all lowercase letters, by having a mixture of capital A's and capital B's, which denotes the amount of pigmentation you have in your skin. So if you look at this kind of square chart, you know, you could kind of decide where you're at. Do I have AABB? I actually have quite a bit of melanin in my skin. And you might think I'm dark right now, but you don't know dark until you see me at the end of a summer in California. So here's another picture of our home group. Uh, I'm with James, um, who's from Nigeria, and Michael Cozy. Actually, his son is here this week, uh, Sean Cozy. And Michael would say he's bohemian. Now, here's another picture of me after spending time in the sun sitting across from Mr. Robinson. We had lunch one day. I think we were coming back from, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> Norma's all. <laughs> I think she sees the, the contrast there. You'll have to explain to Gary. But you see, after spending time in the sun, I appear somewhat dark. In California, when I was with my kids, we spent a lot of time at the beach. You could see. Would you say I'm darker there in that picture? All right, so here's me with James and Michael Cozy without a whole lot of melanin. What I did is I put my picture next to James, who's from Nigeria, and my picture on the screen. So go to the next one. All right. How many of you would say we are the same skin tone, more or less, skin color? All right. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. How many of you would say, let's just say, did you hear Jose? He's the black speaker. Would anyone say that? Why not? Oh, yeah, some of you would. <laughs> But it's interesting that we always denote the color of skin having to do with our race. But if you look right here, I am actually sometimes darker than what some African-American people uh, who identify that way. And it's interesting that you see myself next to James when I've been in the sun a lot. We're pretty much the same skin color. You wouldn't necessarily say, oh, he's the brown one. You would identify James as what? Black, probably. I know you're probably, gosh, I'm not going to say that. But that's how we would say. And James is my brother. He follows Torah. We argue sometimes, but um, he is just a, a wonderful <coughs> man who, I think he moved to Tennessee. Or he also left California. I can't remember where he settled, but he's been here before in our fellowship. But again, I just mentioned this because we always look at our skin color as they're black, they're white. And in, in reality, this is black. This is white, and I don't see black people. I don't see white people. If I saw you like this color, we might be calling 911. But again, remember, we, we use these colors, but we got to see what Scripture says about that. What's interesting, race isn't mentioned in the Bible. We have people groups. We have tribes. Race actually comes from Charles Darwin. Racism within the evolutionary theory. He writes, as, as, sorry, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races, meaning the European people of man, will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world, speaking Africa, uh, South America. You know, what's interesting is that the woke culture removed Dr. Seuss because Dr. Seuss was racist. They took out Laura Ingalls, who wrote Little House on the Prairie, if we want to end racism, we got to get Charles Darwin out of our schools. That's where we start, you know. So we got to look at where this all comes from. Hitler, I'm not going to find, spend much time at all, but he was another proponent of race. 
But Yahweh created us with an amazing DNA. He created us with so many things that are in there that we will never see. And that's why you could have a married couple have different colored twins. And we see that National Geographic actually uh, did an expose on different colored twins coming from the same birth parents. So very interesting. And that's why we have different eye-shaped variations because of the DNA that is within us. So now I'm going to show you a picture of my, my parents. Uh, this picture was taken probably in the 1957, 1958 when they were married, and they're on their honeymoon. All right, this picture was taken in Mexico. All right, they moved here, had four children, maybe seven grandchildren or so, uh, maybe more. And then I'm going to show you a picture of my parents with two of their seven great-grandchildren. Take a look. All right. Here on this side, we have Xavier, which was my oldest sister's grandson. On this side, we have Michaela, which, which is my other sister's granddaughter. Xavier and Michaela are second cousins. Their mothers are first cousins. Their grandmothers are my sisters. So again, we can see how just in a few generations, by the people that we marry, uh, you know, how much we can change. So go to the next slide. So there's a picture of me and my wedding day. You can kind of see that. And we have Ethan with his cousin once removed. And then we have Ashley with her cousin once removed. So you can see just in one generation, there's a lot of change, isn't there? It's interesting, but they are still my family. They are my blood relatives. Even though we might not look alike, we would say Xavier is black and we would say Michaela is white. But yet, we all come from my mom and dad, you know, and their parents, you know, who came here years ago. So I mention that uh, because we're really sometimes attracted to the same homogeneous type of people. So there's a family photograph. I was trying to uh, find a, a picture of a good-looking family. Should I just Google this? And this came, popped up. I don't know. It was like the first thing that came up, so I just used this one. Um, it's interesting that when you take a, a family, um, you know, sometimes a family would look like you look at the Wilkes, you look at the Robinsons, you look at the Wilsons, you look at the Mansagers. You know, they all kind of look alike. But just for fun, Let's just say my son married into Zach and Morgan's family, okay? And then my daughter married into Callie and Brandon Lewis's family. Okay, will my grandchildren have the same amount of melanin that I have? Probably not, okay? So let's just say my grandchildren marry into the Mansager family, like, you know, Anthony and Rachel and Jordan and um, Andy, Okay. Do you think my great-grandchildren will look like me? Probably not, you know. They're going to say, let's name you, my great-grandson, after Jose who came, left California, the riches and the paradise, and came to Cisco, and, you know, he'll probably be redhead and freckled face, you know, and be named Jose Ireta. You know, it's just interesting. So it's just interesting that as we move and adapt and change and become global, that uh, this concept of what we call race really puts on a new meaning. Now, I also want to talk about what's called endogamy and inbreeding. I would maybe say there's some inbreeding going on here, but when you think of inbreeding, you might think of two brothers like this. I, I don't know. They might be from Emory. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. But let, let me give you an example, not of inbreeding, but what endogamy is. Endogamy is the practice of marrying only within one particular group, 
even though suitable partners exist outside of that group. So one of the reasons we came here was because of the amount of people of faith that are here that are like-minded. You know, we want to grow um, our, our family to have that rich legacy. And, uh, and so you would find suitable partners, and sometimes the partners may or may not look like yourself. But you might ask yourself, well, what does the Bible say about mixed-race marriages? Let's look at some of our patriarchs and some of their people. Abraham had servants from Egypt. Joseph married an Egyptian. Moses married Midianite. Rahab was a Canaanite. Ruth was a Moabite. And Bathsheba's husband was a Hittite. So right in front of here, and I'm going to actually leave this here. There's a picture of it on the screen as well. Ruth and Rahab, a Canaanite and a Moabite, are part of whose genealogy? Our Messiah, Yeshua's genealogy. And you could go ahead and trace that through. And so when scripture really kind of warns us about not marrying outside, it's really outside of the faith. Now, I, I took this picture from the internet, and that's where you see that word uh, God in there. But we have couple B, uh, A, uh, non-believer and non-believer. We have couple B, believer and believer. And then couple C, believer and non-believer. Okay, so say the letter. Uh, what, what does Yahweh prohibit against? A, B, or C? C, A, all right, yeah, yeah, good answer, yeah. It's a believer and non-believer because we can marry people of the same culture, race, who are not believers, and it's not going to have some pretty consequences, but we could also marry people of a different culture, race, who are believers. Technically, my wife and I are of two different races, you know, because of her European ancestry and where my parents come from. So it's interesting that we need to look at that. 2 Corinthians 6.14 sums it up really well. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So that is what scripture warns about. And we kind of see this portrayed in King Solomon's life. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to Yahweh his El, as was the heart of his father David. Deuteronomy 17, 17. So this is, if any of you become king of a country, of a nation, you are supposed to follow this. You're supposed to write out the law, and it says, Neither shall he, the king, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. So it's very important that the instructions that Yahweh gives us is to protect our faith, our relationship with him, our love for him. It's important to note, too, that there is no pure race, there's no pure culture, because all cultures have their paganism. When we look at countries around the world, whether it's in Northern Europe, uh, South America, Africa, Asia, I won't go through all these, you could see them on there. Every culture is pagan, even Israel. So we have to remember that. It's very important that we not say, oh, that this culture, these people are better. <laughs> They're all pagans. <laughs> That's why Yahweh dispersed everyone. Two of my favorite people, people who lived with us, uh, that we spent a lot of time in our home fellowship, are Luke and Katie Abathy. Um, they actually are the producers of The Way documentary. Katie's family is from Uganda. Uh, Luke's family, I you, Czechoslovakia, or, or I think, yeah, I think that's where they're from. Sadly, they received so much backlash when people found out who they were, that they were an interracial marriage. And it just hardens my heart that two people of the same faith work together to make a great impact on this movement, on this faith of ours. Um, and, and, and so that's what we want to do. Is that Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, 
you know, encourage one another, one, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and that's certainly what their uh, marriage has done. I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 12. We have two individuals um, who didn't like Moses' choice of wife, so I'm just going to read from you from Numbers chapter 12. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman or Ethiopian woman. Depends, remember, geography changes. Sometimes it's the Soviet Union, sometimes it's Russia. You know, again, sometimes it's Mexico, it could have been Texas, you know. But anyway, so Cushite and Cush could have been Ethiopia. So Amarian Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he took, because he took a Cushite wife. And they said, has Yahweh spoken only through Moses? Has not Yahweh also spoken through us? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was more humble than any other person on the face of the earth. And Yahweh said suddenly to Moses, Aaron, Miriam, go out, you three, to the tent of assembly. So the three of them went out, and Yahweh went down in a column of cloud and stood out at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and the two of them went. And he said, please hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house he is faithful. I will speak to him mouth to mouth, in clearness, not in riddles, and he will look at the form of Yahweh. Why were you not afraid to speak? Against, why were you not afraid to speak against my service, uh, servant against Moses? And Yahweh became angry with them, and he went away. And the cloud departed from on the tent, and behold, Miriam was infected with a skin disease, white like snow. When Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was afflicted with a skin disease. So Aaron said to Moses, Please, my master, please do not put this sin upon us in which we were foolish and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be like the dead whose flesh is half consumed when coming out of the womb of its mother. And Moses cried to Yahweh, saying, Please heal her. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had surely spit in her face, she would not have bear the sh she would not bear her shame for seven days let her be confined for seven days to an outside place of the camp and afterwards she may be gathered so Miriam was confined to the outside place of the camp seven days and the people did not set out until Miriam was gathered and afterward the people set out of Hazroth and they encamped in the desert of Paran so it's really interesting to note that like people have spoken now against Luke and Katie Abafi people spoke against Moses and his wife and Yahweh angered him he actually put a punishment he was yet merciful and gracious and said, it's only going to last seven days. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11 says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythian, slave nor free, but Messiah is all and in all. Hallelujah. We need to be like Yahweh, who, who looks at the heart. We need to look past genetics, hair color, hair, skin, and look at the person, their needs, and how they are. When Israel wanted a king and Saul was going to be replaced, Yahweh said, man looks at the what? Outward. But he says, I look at the heart, the inward. And I think even within ourselves, we could probably start, instead of saying, oh yeah, the, the, the redhead or the you know, the, 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 the Mexican or what it could be. Hey, the one that serves all the time with a smile on his face, you know. Or you know that guy with a big, bright smile, Wendell? You know, you go, go talk to him. Maybe using characteristics. The one that's always cleaning up, Dave. 
you know. Uh, we need to, I think, start defining and referring to each other by what we do, and that would encourage us. Like the woman who makes quilts. What's your name? Oh, Carolyn, yes, you know. And, and so maybe using those things instead of the physical descriptors of people, maybe we could start by their characteristics uh, of what they do, of who they really are. All right, so looking at maybe some old National Geographic pictures, and there's a picture up here, and don't be shy. I just, where do you think this person might be from and what language? Actually, go back one. Uh, right there. Where do you think this person might be from? Kind of an older picture. Anyone? Oh, you got it. <laughs> Give it away. Anyone else? Megan? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. This is a picture of Shanina when she was a little girl. All right. In Argentina. As is, go to, go to the next slide. All these ladies are from Argentina. Uh, the actress who plays Rory Gilmore on the Gilmore Girls, she's Argentinian. Supermodel cover girl Valeria Massa is also from Argentina. Let me tell you something. We would call them white, and they all speak Spanish. And I mention that because there are a lot of Spanish-speaking people, maybe outside of this community, that when you go to Venezuela, you will see blonde, blue-eyed. You will actually see what we would call black people speaking Spanish. So the color of our skin doesn't define what language we speak. Uh, really, that is more of a cultural thing. And uh, you've probably heard this. I've heard this. Um, I don't speak Spanish because I am white. People might say that. So we have to go outside of this kind of the circle and look a little bit more broadly. It's real interesting. Uh, I speak French. Uh, bonjour, je m'appelle José. Uh, J'habite uh, ici en Cisco. Mais ici, uh, il n'y a pas beaucoup de personnes qui parlent français. Okay. Anyone understand what I say? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I said, there aren't a lot of people who speak French here in Cisco where I live, okay? It's like, there's no need. But it's interesting, the color of my skin shouldn't say, oh, he speaks French, he's dark. Well, no, it's just cultural. And even as we continue to live here, sometimes when I refer to Kyle, I might say, Kyle, you know, because we are adapting. And it's interesting, hopefully you can get past that. Really, the only colored person in this room is back there. It's Brent Green, because he's a green. All right, anyway. <laughs> All right. The Bible actually doesn't really use skin color to define people. If we look at Isaiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 2, speaking of the Ethiopians, Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of reed on the waters, saying, Go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth of skin. Skin is actually added in there, but they're called tall and smooth. Scripture doesn't say dark or black. It just says tall and smooth. Jeremiah 13, 23 indicates that Ethiopians might be of a different skin color, but it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? It doesn't even say color. It just says his skin. In the Song of Solomon, this is a, a unique one, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keepers of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. This person probably had a lot of melanin in them because it indicates that they were in the sun, and that's the reason why they're darker. Really, the only color that we have in the Bible comes from Genesis 25, 25. Speaking of Esau, the first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak, so they called him Esau. So it's interesting that you really aren't going to find black or white in the Bible. It's just going to be right here. 
So we can say using a woke term, forgive me, that Yahweh is inclusive, but Yahweh is inclusive with stipulations. I'm going to read to you um, from Isaiah chapter 56 and then how that also came to light. It says, do not let the, this is from Isaiah chapter 56 verses 3 through 7. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh speak, saying, Yahweh has utterly, utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who joins himself to Yahweh to serve him and to love the name of Yahweh to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations." For all nations, he does not exclude. It's interesting. We actually see that come to light. Um, and I'm going to change it just a little bit. In um, Acts chapter 8, I think I have it right here. So we see that Isaiah 56 talks about the eunuch. Kids, you could ask your parents later on what that is. And it also talks about the foreigner. But let's, let me read to you from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Now the angel of Yahweh spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near, overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, right? Isaiah, maybe, maybe it was Isaiah 56. We don't know, but it could have very well been. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who would declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does a prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Yeshua to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some of the water, and the eunuch said, See, here is a water. What hinders you from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and now both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Isn't that an amazing story of just how those promises of, of the eunuch and the foreigner from Isaiah comes to life in Scripture? Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 says, For you are all sons of Elohim through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For as many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For all in Messiah, if you are in Yeshua, and if you are Messiahs, then you are descendants of Abraham, according to the promise. We are all children of Abraham. Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one father? Has not one El created us? 
Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same sovereign over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For Yahweh your El is El of Elohim and sovereign of sovereigns, the great El, mighty and awesome, who shows no, no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And during this time of the feast, remember that Yahweh took us out of Egypt. He liberated us, and we need to show that same hospitality to others around us. We probably have no greater picture of this than in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and descended and people who were from different cultures, different languages, all receive the spirit of Yahweh. So, so, so important. First Kings eight forty one through 43, and I want to encourage you, uh, perhaps, just also to be cautious. Moreover, concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards his temple. Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples on the earth may know your name and fear you and do as do your people Israel, and that they may know this temple which I have built is called by your name. This place is very special. And I have given my word to Ferris and Joanne. I'm not going to invite people here who will call dis uh, cause discord. We need to protect it. But people will hear of Yahweh's name through you, through us, through this assembly. And as they come here, we need to be cautious, but at the same time, we need to be welcoming, treating them just as Yahweh does. Well, in summary, I really believe there's only one race of people, but two groups, the people of Yahweh and the people who do not belong to him. Even in his word, he says, my Sabbath is a sign. It's a sign between me and my people. So it's a very important to be his people. And you might be here visiting or checking things out, and you may not be his. I know there will be elders available who would want to share with you what it takes to be a person of Yahweh. I'll end with a couple more verses as the band comes up. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our El, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped Elohim, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our L forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, wants us to remember that you, us, the Gentiles, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, made one flesh. Verse 12 says that at that time you were without Messiah, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without Elohim in the world. But now Messiah, Yeshua, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. So that's why we gather together for Passover. That's why we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For it is he, our kinsman redeemer. And I'll close with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Yahweh, through Yeshua, gives us life. And he says, I've come to give you abundant life. And it is our prayer that during this time, you find that abundant life in Yeshua, Messiah, and recognize that uh, he shows no partiality. He welcomes all. So may Yahweh bless you.